Uh, really excited about uh, this particular class tonight. Uh, as you saw in the video, uh, this is something that uh, has been on Pastor Carol's heart and mind for quite some time. Uh, it's been interesting, just as uh, some of the some of the news articles that I've been seeing myself, that even in the Catholic Church, they're seeing a an explosion in uh, what they call exorcisms. Uh, same type of situation that we'll be dealing with, and that they're they're rushing to train more of their priests to be able to handle this type of thing. Uh, so you're seeing more of this happen globally. And as Pastor Carroll said in his video, in the video announcement, that um, he personally and we as the church have seen a, ri a steady rise in demonic activity and, and oppression. And it's an important topic. Pastor Carroll did a teaching for us as a staff in the fall, and he had a really great point, which was even here at New Life Church, which is... Um, a charismatic church, we believe in, in the full move of the Holy Spirit uh, in terms of what you see in the New Testament for today. We embrace the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we understand uh, about spiritual warfare here uh, just because it's, it's something that we emphasize the ministry of the Holy Spirit here. That, that's something that we're aware of, but even in the charismatic church, even at New Life Church, and he's going to unpack this, there is... Um, uh, some confusion about this topic, uh, and that confusion can um, lead us to have a lack of confidence when we're engaging these type of situations. And so it's a really timely class. It's a really timely um, uh, look at what Scripture says about this topic, uh, but more importantly, as we get to the later, the later classes, to... to um, know what situations look like and know how to handle them when we're in them. So thanks for coming out. We think this is a really important topic. So before Pastor Carroll comes up, I'm just going to pray that God would um, impart to us and that we would have hearts and minds that can receive uh, what the Lord has for us tonight. So Father, we glorify you tonight. And Holy Spirit, we uh, welcome here. We welcome your leadership. We know that you will lead us into all truth. And um, Father, I pray tonight that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying, what the scripture says, uh, and how to not just acquire knowledge, but to um, be doers and learners uh, so we can apply, so we can be agents of change in the different contexts that you have us, where we can be agents of change to bring freedom, to set people free uh, for your glory. Your Lord, your word says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We embrace that and we believe that. And so, uh, Lord, we pray that you would bless this class. Lord, we pray you would bless Pastor Carroll as he brings this teaching to us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin tonight, I have a book I want to pass out, um, but I would say that if you were here a few months ago when I gave out a bunch of books on a Sunday morning, this was one of the books that I gave out. So if you happen to have gotten one of these at that time, uh, then we'll keep these for people that didn't get them. Now, I think I may not have enough for everybody, uh, but maybe I could have enough for at least one per family. 
So if uh, I get some guys to help pass these out, Joe and John, would you guys? Maybe one per family as long as there is enough for that. Uh, in case I do run out of books, uh, you can download this book in Kindle format from Amazon.com. Just go to Amazon.com, click on Books, type in my name, Dr. Carol Parrish, and you'll see the books that I have there pop up. And it's about the third or fourth one down in that list. And for Kindle, I think it's $2.99. And uh, when I sell the paper copy of it, it's normally $8 or $8.99. But Kindle version is $2.99 in case we do run out. So um, we'll get started here. And let me say before I get started teaching that we are audio taping this. Each session will be audio taped. And by this time next week, it'll be on the church website. And you, it's a free download from there if you want to listen to it again. We are also video each class. And uh, so they will be for sale as soon as they can be reproduced. How long that will take, I don't know. I'm not involved in that. So I don't know how long it'll be before they'll be available. But uh, they will be available soon. Okay. A number of years ago, Barna did a study, and he asked several hundred people in America, just spot-checking people in various places, and said, do you think Satan is a real personal being? 59% of those individuals that took the survey said, absolutely not. He's just a symbol of all the evil and wrong that's in the world. Then they asked those same individuals another question. They said, do you believe that a person can be under the influence of demon spirits? And the answer was 64% of the people said yes, they can be. Now, that tells me there's some confusion out there. If 64% if believe you can be under demonic influence... And yet 59% of those same individuals say, no, it's just a symbol of all that's evil. Then they don't understand what they're dealing with. Now, that is also pretty consistent when the individual surveyed said they were Christians and went to church. The numbers did vary very, very much from those that I just mentioned. So that tells me again that church people need some teaching on this. I, let me give you a little background on myself. I did not get started in this because I wanted to. This is not something I chose to do. But my brother, who was pastor of a Baptist church, I was pastor of a Baptist church, a friend of ours was pastor of another Baptist church, and after the three of us became spirit-filled in 1967... We started having weekly prayer meetings and Bible studies in a couple's home that belonged to one of those Baptist churches. And all of the people there, about 25 to 30 people, would gather one night a week and we would come in and we would pray and seek God. And sometimes we'd have a Bible study, but most of the time we just prayed and sought God. But one night after several weeks of this, the lady's home that we were in suddenly fell out of her chair 
onto the floor and started talking in a man's voice. Now, she had a very high feminine voice. She couldn't do that if she had wanted to on her own. But she started talking in this real rough man's voice and anger and viciousness. And she was a sweet lady. Totally 100% opposite of her own personality. And she started speaking viciously and hatefully. And, and I looked at my brother and, and looked over at the other guy and we're... What is this? We didn't know what this was. And we never... I've been through, I just graduated from Bible college. My brother had graduated from Bible college. The other pastor had graduated from Southern Seminary here in Louisville. And you know, we talked about this later, and none of us had been taught a single word about dealing with stuff like this. It was totally foreign to us. I didn't know anybody who had any experience dealing with things like this. We thought she had a nervous breakdown and was going crazy. All right, that was our thought. Well, I guess we better call the people in the white coats and come get her. Well, something's wrong with her. And so we pulled her husband off over to the side and said, has she ever done anything? He said, not that I know anything about. Has she been unstable before? No. I mean, we, you know, we didn't know what it was. And so we closed the meeting down, said, everybody go home and, and ask God to give you some wisdom about this. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to study the word. So... We started digging into scripture, I mean, seriously on this topic. And we came back the following week and we thought, well, that maybe that was just a one-time event. You know, this is not going to happen anymore. Wrong. Because even those weeks that we were studying scripture and trying to determine what does the Bible say and how can we recognize this, if this is of God or not, things just started happening more and more. Things like this little lady who was about 5'2", weighed about 120 pounds soaking wet. Her husband was about 6'4", and weighed about 275. And one night she got under the inspiration of this demon again and came up to her husband and slung him against the wall. Now, if, you did, if the first thing happened didn't get your attention, that got your attention. She's 120, he's about 275, and she grabbed him and slung him against the wall. Well, we found out we had hold of something that was greater than us, and we were going to need some help. So uh, my brother knew uh, one of the ladies that came occasionally to the prayer time. She was from a Pentecostal church in town. So she seemed to know more about the Holy Spirit than any of us. And so he talks to this lady. And she says, yeah, you need to talk to my pastor. We've seen stuff like this before. And so but through those contacts, we started studying scripture, getting books, trying to find out anything we could get, mainly from studying the scripture. And that's how I got into this. Like I said, I didn't intend to get into this. But you know what happens when you start doing it, it's almost like you see other people and you get contacted by people who know people that they need this help and they need that help. So for about 50 years, I've been doing stuff like this. Now, do I know it all? Absolutely not. I'm not an expert about anything other than the fact that I'm not an expert. And, uh, but I have learned a few things from Scripture as well as personal experience and things that I've heard other people. 
By the way, I would recommend uh, any of you people here ever heard of a guy named Derek Prince, who's dead now. If you want some good material, he's got lots of it. Uh, you can go to YouTube and download 10-minute teaching or an hour and a half teaching. His son-in-law has taken a lot of his teachings about deliverance, cut it up in little short segments, 10, 15, 20, 30, and so on. And he's a very good teacher. And he's been involved in this even before we were. And uh, so that's just another source or resource that you can go. Well, tonight, as we start this class, what we're going to do, the first three sessions are going to be foundational to everything else. You, you, you know, you can't build a house from the roof down. You build a house from the footer up. And these first three classes are very, very important to what's going to come later. Because if you don't get this, you won't know what I'm talking about when I get to the other. So let me emphasize the importance of getting the first three before I start talking about some other things that sound maybe a little bit more exciting, but, uh, you know, excitement won't drive out devils. Let me say that again. Just being excited won't do it. You got to know what you're talking about. And you got to be founded on a biblical foundation so that when you say, come out, devil, he knows to pay attention. Okay? So it's very, very important to get this. Chapter 1, we're going to talk about uh, this topic, the devil, Satan, demons, from eternity past. That's on page 9 if you've got a book. Eternity past. And I'll reference two passages just very quickly. Isaiah 14 verses 12 to 15, and Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 16. Those are passages that are speaking to two types of beings. One is a king in both places. It's referred to an earthly king. But everybody that reads this understands, I should say most everybody, understands that this is not just applicable to a human being, but to a spiritual being, because some of these things said in these passages, no human being could fulfill it. And so we know that it's a being. First, because Isaiah fourteen twelve says he calls him Lucifer. That's not a word that's referred to human beings. It's a word that's referred to the being that we know as Satan or the devil. And look what the devil said before he got thrown out. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. What does that sound to you like? Pride, right? Pride. I will. I will. He was reaching for something that he saw that God had that he wanted, but he did not qualify for it. He was the anointed cherub that covered. Some believe he was the worship leader of heaven. We don't know that for sure, but there's a passage over in the book of Ezekiel that talk about his pipes. In other words, his ability to speak. And they use that as a reference to to praise and worship. So we don't really know for sure what he was doing other than he was one of the top angels. Top angels. And we'll elucidate more on that as we go along. Look at the Ezekiel passage. Every precious stone was your covering. And then he names some of them. And then he says, 
and your pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So that tells us he was a created being. Anything that's God is not a created being. It's self-existing. Understand that? God is self-existing. There was no beginning for God. He is self-existing. Everyone else is created. So Lucifer, the anointed cherub that covered, he was a created being. Human beings are created beings in God's image. So we know this. there's no way he could ever be God. There's no way that you and I can ever be God. We're created beings. Now we can do some things like God. We can do some things by yielding to God and His power, His Spirit, and His authority, and so on, but we can never become God. So Lucifer, he wanted to elevate himself. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to do that because of pride, because iniquity was found in him uh, by his interacting with something. And uh, as a result of that, he lost his position and got kicked out. Now, in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, the first mention of a serpent is found here. You may recall that Adam and Eve were in the garden. God had given them instruction how they were to guard it, protect it, and cultivate it, and so on. And one day, they were there, and they had been given instructions in chapter 2 that they could eat of everything that was in the garden except for the fruit of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were not to touch it. They were not to eat it. They were not to do anything with that. So one day they're there and suddenly this serpent walks up, crawls up, somehow he got there and he spoke to Eve. And he did three things. He spoke to her and he questioned what God said. Then he contradicted what God said. And then he, the way he said what he said next He said it in such a way as if God was keeping something from her. Now, unless we guys think she was alone and Adam was out plowing the field someplace, that's not the way it was. The scripture says, when she took that fruit, that apple or whatever it was, when she took that fruit and she began to eat, and scripture will say, and she gave to her husband with her and he ate. So both of them together chose to disobey God. And as a result of that, sin came into the human race. And it's been transmitted to every human being that's been born since. Every one of us have a propensity to do wrong. We're born with it. Absolutely born with it. From the prettiest little baby looking in the nursery, you say, oh, that's sweetness multiplied. Inside that little old sweetheart is something that eventually will manifest itself. I want what I want. Is that right? If you ever had any kids, you know that to be true. I want what I want. And when they get to the point to where you can reason with them, you can try to talk them out of it, but you're never going to do it. It's never going until they get a new heart, a new life, and a new nature that's submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So sin entered. 
Now that's the first mention in Scripture, but the last mention in Scripture is Revelation 20, verse 10, page 11. The devil who deceived them, talking about the human race right before, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. All right, that's his end. He is going to be cast into the lake of fire. That's it. Now, you as a believer, your end is Jesus is Lord. Your end is to spend eternity in the presence of God. That's your end. Satan's end is he's going to be cast into the lake of fire and spend eternity there with all the other Christ rejectors. That's his end. So when Satan comes against you or some demon comes against you and makes false accusations against you, just remind him of your past. It's all under the blood of Jesus, what I've done, and his future, which is going to be in the lake of fire. You can't do that to me, devil, because I'm a child of God. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. My sin is forgiven, but your future is... And he, I'll guarantee you, he won't like that. But you're speaking truth according to Scripture. See, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, what are his attributes? We're talking about Satan here. But first, I want to talk briefly about God's attributes. God has four main ones. Page 12. He is omnipresent, meaning he's present everywhere. He is omnipotent, meaning he has all power. He is omniscient, meaning he has all knowledge. He is immutable, meaning he doesn't change. Those are the four characteristics of God. Satan is none of those things. He can only be in one place at one time. Now that's a revelation for most people. Satan himself is one being who is limited like all created beings are to one place at one time. If he is in Louisville, Kentucky tonight, he is absolutely not in any other place in the world. Now follow me, unless you think I just said here. See, I didn't. He himself can't be. But what he does do, as we'll learn later on, he has emissaries that we call evil spirits, fallen angels, demons, whichever term you like. And they are in a structured kingdom. And he uses them to do his dirty work. And he just moves around from place to place. Scripture says he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So he can only be in one place at that instant. But he can suddenly move from this place to another place, to another place. But what he most often does is has demons doing his dirty work for him. All right? He doesn't have, not only can he not be everywhere, he doesn't have all knowledge. He doesn't know everything. You know how Satan learns things? Listening to us talk. Watching our actions. Seeing manifestations of our attitudes. That's how he knows things about us. That's how. He didn't know everything. He doesn't have all power. He cannot be everywhere. And he is changeable in the sense that he tries things to see if it'll work. 
And if it's not working the way as much success as he wants, he may switch tactics next time and try another tactic. All right? So in that sense, he's not immutable like God. He's changeable. He tries different things. Throw a little nugget out here. One time I was in a deliverance session, and I was praying, and it was one of those occasions where the demon inside the person was talking back using that person's voice. He had that much control over that guy. And uh, so uh, I, was, I was telling, I was reminding the devil of some things and telling him to come out. When I say devil, I'm, 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 I know I'm speaking to a demon, not Satan himself. Please understand that. And uh, so I was saying, Mr. Devil, you demon, you come out in the name of Jesus. He said, I'm not coming out. And they often say stuff like that. But remember, they're liars. So I'm not coming out. And I said, yes, you are. In the name of Jesus, you're coming out because you've been defeated by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus has given me authority to cast you out. Next thing he said was, Oh, I forgot. <laughs> you know, some of these things are so childish, they're, they're funny, like that. Oh, I, I, I forgot about that. No, he didn't forget about that. He was just trying to sidetrack me and, lead, and, and deceive me, you know. So we had, I just kept rebuking him, and finally he did come out. My point is, he doesn't know everything. He can't be in every place at the same time. He's not all-powerful. He is changeable. Now, the structure of his kingdom, again, is mimicked after the structure of God's kingdom. Satan is not a creator. He's a thief. And he steals things from God and sets up things somewhat similar, but it's an alternative kingdom. God's kingdom has got four type of beings in it, for example... Angels, archangels, cherubims, and seraphims. Four type of angelic beings in God's kingdom. Guess what? Satan's kingdom has principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and wicked spirits in high places. Four strata of Satan's kingdom, just like there are of God's, but they're 180 degrees separate and different. God's all righteous, Satan's all evil. God leads to life, Satan leads to death. That much different. So the structure of his kingdom is, he has four classes of demonic beings that are out to do his service. Now, again, let's look at several terms about him, page 14, 15, 16 in your book. Look at the terms used for devil and taken strictly from Scripture. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Whose mind the God of this world has blinded. Spiritual blindness is caused in lost people because they haven't made Jesus, who's the light of the world, their Lord. So they are in a state of spiritual blindness. But who is behind that spiritual blindness? Namely, the devil and his demon host. They're there to blind people so that they cannot see, so they cannot understand truth and revelation. 
The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. The God of this world. The God of this age. John 12, 31. Now is the kingdom of the world. Now the ruler of this world uh, will be cast out. He's called the ruler of this world system that we live in. Ephesians 2, 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He's the God of this world. He's the prince of the power, the authority of the air, the earthly first heaven region right above the surface of the earth. The devil rules over the people that submit to him. Now he doesn't rule over you if you don't submit to him. Now he can harass you. He can cause you problems. Have you ever heard the saying, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from making a nest in your hair? You ever heard that? That's an old saying. Well, Satan is a little bit like that. He can't control you unless you yield to it. If you resist him, he can harass you. He can roar at you. He can make accusations against you. But he can't control you. You know why? Because you don't belong to him. You do not belong to him. You are not his property. He has no right to you. You belong 100% to God. You're God's servant. You're God's child. And he's the one that can tell you what to do. Now get that down on the inside of it to where you know that you know that you know you know you know that that's true for you. Because you're going to need that. You're going to need that because there will be situations as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ and I see it progressing continuously. As I said on the announcement of the day the last few months, I think I've seen more uh, activity than I have in the last couple of decades. Just in a matter of a few months. So, know that. First John 5, 19. He, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Again, he's called the wicked one. And he's controlling the world system. Revelation 23. So that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. He is a deceiver. Revelation 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Again, notice the terminology. Dragon, serpent, devil, Satan, deceiver. And his angels, quote, demons, fallen spirits, demonic beings, they were cast out with him. And where were they cast out? Down onto the earth. And that scripture is in the context of the last days. So what does that mean? That means we're going to see a proliferation of demonic activity in our world greater in the last days than have been in the former days. That's why we want this class. We want you to be prepared because we know it is now happening and will continue to happen until the final victory is manifest. And guess what? Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. 
And that applies to every believer. I mean, if a young child gets born again, truly knows Jesus, meets Jesus as his Lord and Savior, not concerned about his age, I'm, I'm concerned about his experience in knowing the Lord. That little child has enough authority in him to drive any demon out of anybody. You don't have to be doing this for 40 years. You don't have to be an aged person. You got to know who you are in Christ and know his authority has been given to you. And if you know that, you can deal with any demon that exists. Now that's saying a mouthful, folks, but it's a fact and we'll show you as we go along how it works. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be alert, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is your adversary and he is acting like a roaring lion. What's that mean? That means he tries to intimidate you. He tries to intimidate you. I remember... I hope by me telling these stories, I hope they're enlightening to you. Uh, I'm not trying to frighten anybody by them. I'm just trying to illustrate a point when I tell you these personal stories. And I got thousands of them probably. Uh, I remember one occasion I was, this guy was a pretty good sized fella, much larger than me. Big, strong, muscular. He was a coal miner. Big, big, big boy. And... Uh, I got into a deliverance session with him. And this was my first time with one this serious. And also, this was my first time I didn't have anybody with me. Huge mistake. Don't make this mistake, all right? Whenever I try to do deliverance, I would get at least one person, perhaps two, with me. Because I've been in some circumstances where my life could have very easily been taken because when you stir up a demon, sometimes they are very, very physically strong. All right? So I, this was in the early days, and I didn't know any better. And uh, so I, I was going to cast the devil out of this guy. And I tell you what, he pushed me all over that place. And he's swinging at me and all this sort of stuff. And, and one time he took a swing at me. And I learned, I learned something before this event. I learned that in deliverance, you never close your eyes. Never, ever do that. You'll get hurt. All right? You know, the scripture that says, watch and pray, take that literally. <laughs> if you're casting out demons, take that literally. Watch and pray. Don't close your eyes. And anyway, this guy started, took a swing at me, and I saw it. And so I did that. And he came all the I mean, he was going so strong. He went all the way around and busted a concrete block wall. Cracked the block, cinder block. Now, we got him delivered. I said, we. I, I got him delivered. And about the time I'm finishing up, the guy in whose house we were, uh, his brother-in-law, came in. And so he helped me finish it up. But then by the time we got through deliverance, and this guy came back to consciousness... Because he didn't, he didn't remember all of this when he came back to himself. He didn't know what all he'd done. He looked down and said, what happened to my, my, my fist? And it was dope. You couldn't even see knuckles. And it was all puffed out all over. And uh, his brother-in-law had to take him to the emergency room, and he had broken three of his knuckles when he hit that concrete 
cinder block wall. And uh, my point is, don't close your eyes. Don't close your eyes. In that, in that same little town where we were, uh, we were, Debbie and I were living in a, in a mobile home. This is the early 70s. Tim is just a baby, just a few months old. One night about 11 o'clock, get a knock on the door. I go to the door. It was a lady that I had ministered to before. She came in. She said, Pastor, I need help. Those demons have come back. So Debbie came out, and I said, call Ralph. Now, Ralph was a young man in the church who was enamored by supernatural things. And he had told me before, said, you ever get in a case where you're casting out demons, and if I can come over and observe that, call me. I want to help. I want to be there. I said, call Ralph. She calls Ralph. Ralph, you know, says, okay, I'll be right. He only lived like a half a block away. So she stays in the back in Tim's bedroom. And I said, you stay back there with him and plead the blood over him. We don't need anything going in that direction. We're going to cast him out the front door, you know. So, uh, so I'm, I, boy, we've already got this thing started. I'm rebuking the devil and she's manifesting, talking back and all that garbage. And so we've, we've got a couple of lamps. One on this side of the, of the living room, one on the side of that living room. She's kind of sitting on the main couch in the middle unknown to me, when she came in and sat down, she slipped her shoes off. All right? Now, that's important in the story. Just keep that in mind. She slipped her shoes off, and so I engaged her in conversation, and she's telling me about some of the things. I said, okay, we're going to pray. Soon as I started praying, those demons in her started acting up. Just about that time, Ralph opened the front door and stepped in, and Ralph does this. He stands there closed his eyes, and he starts praying. I got my eyes open. I haven't got time to fool with Ralph. I'm, I'm, I'm knee-deep in demons by this time, you know. And so, and suddenly, like I said, unknown to me, she reaches down, picked that shoe up, and went, bah! And it whizzed right by his ear and hit the wall. I said, Ralph, keep your eyes open! <laughs> Point of that story is, keep your eyes open when you're casting out demons. You'll, you'll be more healthy if you do that. So, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. There's another manifestation. Uh, 2, 11, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Don't be ignorant of his devices, his scheme. That's what this whole class is about. Learning his place in God's economy as a fallen angel who's doomed to spend eternity in the lake of fire. Know that. And be aware of some of the ways that he manifests. And that's, we'll get to all of those as we go through this. Now, uh, John eight forty four. You are of your father the devil. Jesus said this to some religious people. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he, when he speaks, he speaks a lie. And he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan, Lucifer, the devil is a liar. Question sometimes is asked. Can he ever tell the truth? Yes. He can tell the truth when he can do it to deceive somebody just enough to get them where he wants them to be so that he can use them for his purpose. Satan can tell the truth, but it's always a hook. 
You know, what do fishermen do? You put bait on the hook, you throw it out, give the fish something they want to eat, but the purpose is not to feed the fish. The purpose is to catch the fish and consume it, right? That's Satan. Keep that in mind. He can tell the truth just as long as it's a hook to get somebody doing something he wants. And that's the only time he tells the truth. He lies. Lies, 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 lies. Now, personal experience. That same prayer meeting in that home, 1967, 68, somewhere along in there. One, not the lady who owned the home now. She's already been set free by the time this happened that I'm about to tell you about. We had a lady prophetess coming to the prayer group. Had a, her her uh, reputation was she was a wonderful person, gave great prophetic words, was a very committed church member of a full gospel church in town. And uh, she had been coming week after week and she had given some tremendous prophecies. All right? And so just about everybody was paying attention to what this lady spoke. Because if she spoke and prophesied, it was going to be good. And so that was kind of the, the influence she had with the group. Well, one night she started, there was, there's three of us pastors. My brother and I and this other pastor were kind of in charge of this group because we had members of our churches, of the three churches represented in this prayer group. It was made up of members from the three churches. So we were kind of all co-leaders there. And so this lady pointed out this one other pastor and uh, prophesied to him. It was not directive, but it sounded okay, so didn't think anything about it. Then she prophesied to my brother. Mm, that didn't sound exactly, didn't seem exactly right. But she's getting on a roll now. And when she got to me, she told me, she said, I the Lord says to you, you're to go to the country of Turkey as a missionary. But you're not only going to go there and be a missionary, you're going to end up being a martyr there. That didn't register with me at all. I didn't say anything to her publicly because I didn't want to mess up what was going on that night otherwise. But I determined right then, nope, that's not a word from God and I reject that in Jesus' name. If I need to be a martyr, God can speak that directly to me. And if he don't speak it to me, I'm not going to accept it. He'll have to write it in the sky and then speak it to me. <laughs> I'm not believing a word of that. And so after it was over, the three of us got together and we discussed those words. And they all agreed the word to me was just 100% wrong. And they agreed that uh, to my brother that that was partly right, partly wrong. And the one to the first guy she prophesied to was basically right. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying Satan has got a hook. Now, let me say this to you. Just throw it in on the side. False prophecy won't hurt you unless you believe it. That, that is so deep, isn't it? It won't hurt you unless you believe it. If you say, nope, it's not right, that's wrong, out of here, just keep going, keep living your life. It won't bother you, it won't hurt you at all. But if you start believing it and acting according to it, making decisions by it, now you're in trouble. So that's how you can, how you can handle false and true prophecy. And, and a word that 
you think may be not of God or of the evil one, just take that word, Lord, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word needs to be established. First, it needs to be in line with Scripture. Secondly, it needs to bear witness to you in your spirit. Third, it needs to be confirmed by those in spiritual authority that know what they're talking about. And then you won't go wrong. So what we did, we just took that word. Nope, it's wrong. Don't believe it. Not doing it. Now, have I ever been to Turkey? Nope. I'm not afraid to go. I'm not. But he hadn't called me to be a missionary there either. Until he does, I probably won't go. So, what are we saying about this? What are we talking about his kingdom now then? Remember, Satan and his kingdom is a defeated foe. He is a defeated foe, 100%. We have nothing to fear from the devil. Absolutely nothing. When you know who you are in Christ, you know that Jesus lives in you. You know the Spirit of God and the authority of God has been given to you. The loudest roar, the most horrendous looking thing that you can imagine is under your feet. Now during those early days, I was about 19 at the time pastoring this Baptist church still living at home with my mom and dad. I had, I'm the youngest of eight kids, and the other seven were already married and gone, and I've got you know, the other bedroom, and in my bedroom I've got a desk. And uh, uh, so one night after one of those deliverance sessions at that prayer meeting in that basement of that lady's house, uh, we had had some deliverance going on that night. So I came home, you know, 12, 1 o'clock, something like that, went to bed, and it's... Uh, it's uh, autumn evening. It's not really cold, but just a little bit cool. There's no windows raised or anything. And uh, suddenly, the light coming in from the outside through the window was shining down on the corner of my desk. And I started hearing this sound. You know what a lead pencil looks like? It's what it's got like six little sides to it like that. One of those was laying on my desk, and there was a flip flat desk. Again, no wind, no fans going, nothing, no wind blowing, no windows open, nothing like this. Suddenly I hear that pencil and it's rolling slowly across my desk. It gets to the corner of the desk and stops and goes back to the other. What in the world is this? In Bible college, they didn't say, this is how you handle rolling lead pencils. They didn't tell us anything like that. And I'm watching this thing. And then it goes back to where it started and stopped. From that night on for all, about six months, I went to bed every night with Psalm 91 on my chest. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. I would, I would quote Psalm 91 when I went to bed. Then I'd take the open Bible and lay it on my chest and go to sleep. I figured if He's going to get me, He's going to have to come through the Word of God first. After about six months of that, I got to the point in my understanding to where... 
I don't care if he's the devil himself sits on my desk. I'll tell him to get up and leave. I want to be like Smith Wigglesworth. You heard the story about him, right? That one night he wakes up and there's a chair in his bedroom and he looks over and he sees Satan sitting in the bed, in the chair. He said, oh, it's just you. Turned over and went to sleep. <laughs> know who you are, know what the Word says, and know the authority you've been given and you can do that. You can do that. That's obtainable for all of us. So my point is, he's a defeated foe. And fear of the devil comes from the devil. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, the Bible says. Any fear that you and I have of the supernatural did not come from God. It came from the evil one. Now, sometimes we have thoughts and experiences. Maybe we've been in some situation where something horrible happened and that's still in the back of our mind. And, and when you think on some situations like that, fear can start to come in and arise within you. Satan looks for any open door he can. I, you guys remember a movie... Uh, uh, um, I just now lost the title of it. Anyway, it was about a Catholic priest who was an exorcist. This was called what? Oh, the exorcist. Okay, that was his number. Name, I mean. All right. When that movie came out, I had some people in the church ask me, said, well, Pastor, you going to see that? And I said, no, I lived that. <laughs> I don't want to go see that. Why would I want to see that? I lived that type of life all the time. I deal with that all the time. And... Uh, and then, you know, people like horror movies and all that junk. And when you fill your mind with all that stuff, any little thing happened, oh, I wonder if that's the devil. Hey, if it is, I'll just tell him where to go and how soon to get there. That's all. There was a time in those early days when we were just learning about our authority in Christ that we were more demon conscious than we were God conscious. I, I had so many of those type of experiences in a short period of time that I would not walk in a room that was dark. I wouldn't. I was 19 years old. But I'd have seen enough demons manifest for a 97-year-old person. And I just would not do it. I would find the light somehow and turn it on because I had been in some rooms where demons had manifest themselves that I could see with these physical eyes. Now that'll get your attention. And so I had seen so many of those that I wouldn't go in there without a light. And finally one day I had enough of that. You know, sometimes you just got to take all you can take and you just can't take anymore. Like Papa said. I've taken all I can take and I just can't take anymore. Well, I got to that place with these things. I said, I'm not having this anymore. I am not going to be afraid anymore. So I knew my mom and dad were going to be gone that night. And I told them, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here. So they left. I went around, turned off all the lights in the house. And immediately I could feel chill bumps running up and down my spine and my whole neck. Hair on the back of my head stood up just like it did when I was afraid. And I walked around the house, every room in the house, declaring, I, uh, I am not 
uh, filled with the spirit of fear. I am filled with the spirit of God. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I rebuke you, spirit of fear. you got to get up and get out of this house. I cover every door, every window, every particle of this house with the blood of Jesus. I am a child of God. I belong to God. I do not belong to Satan. And Satan, you have no right. Get out of here in Jesus. I did that for like an hour and a half. Before the hour and a half was up, I tell you what, I haven't been afraid of the dark since. Why? Because I finally got it moved from here to here. To here. And know that. Fear of the devil comes from the devil. Didn't come from God. He didn't have any spirits of fear. He got spirits of power, love, and a sound mind or an orderly, disciplined mind, I think other translations say. So, you do not have to be afraid of the devil. Do not. Now, the first time you say, well, if I haven't dealt with any of that, it is scary. It can be scary. But just know, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. The greater one lives in you. You have the victory. You're not capable of defeating Satan by yourself. But the greater one that lives in you has already defeated him. And he has given you his victory. So all you and I have to do is stand in his victory. So we don't have to defeat him. I'm not here to defeat any devils. I'm here to appropriate the victory that Jesus gained into people's life already. See, we're not trying to get to victory. We already got the victory. We've got the victory. You've got the victory. Whether you've ever encountered a demon and cast him out or not, doesn't matter. You've got the victory. You can cast out any of them you run up on. Now later, a couple of sessions down the road, I'm going to talk about some practical things when you deal with some of the higher demons. There's three levels of, of spiritual warfare. We'll talk about this probably next week. And then, you know, there are strongholds. We'll talk about those later on. And how to deal with some of those principalities and powers and, and, and spiritual darkness, demons. Uh, there's, that's different than ground level spiritual warfare, which we'll, again, point that out. But even whichever type they are, you have the victory. Just know that. So, kind of wrapping my teaching part up tonight. Here's what you need to do to prepare. Start meditating on scriptures that let you know who you are in Christ. I have a, a sister that's just older than me. She's retired now, but she used to work in a bank as a bank teller for about 20 years. And then after that, she was the county treasurer for the county in which they, they live. She worked for the, at the courthouse as the county treasurer for another 20 years, I guess. But at any rate, shortly after she started working at the bank one day, I was talking to her and I said, how do, how do they train you guys to represent counterfeit money? Do they give you any you know, long, lengthy, special training about because there are so many different ways people can counterfeit? She said, no, they gave us about a one-hour class. And then they told us this. 
Now go out and handle the real money. You handle the real money so much that your fingertips get the sense the way real money feels. So that when one passes through there, you say, "Uh uh-oh, that's not real. That's false. That one's false. That one's false. She said, they train us on what's real as opposed to the counterfeit. My point exactly. Train yourself on what's real, and that's who you are in Christ. And get down inside your brain and your spirit all those things that the Bible says you are and possess in Christ. Because you're going to need that knowledge because some demon somewhere is going to try to deceive you, confuse you, and mislead you. But once you know who you are in Christ, there's about a 99% chance or better that you won't be deceived. Like we were for a while in those early days. Study scripture, particularly the New Testament. Start in the book of Romans, chapter 1. Go all the way to the first couple of chapters of the book of Revelation. And in there you'll find 223 scriptures that contains 168 different things that you possess in Christ. And you take a few of those every day or two and you begin to read them, personalize them. When it says that you've been justified, say, personalize it. I have been justified by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Until you get that one. I am justified. That means I don't have to get God's approval. I already got God's approval. Not because I earned it, but because He gave it to me. See that? And you get take one of those truths and really put it in, really put it in, really put it in. It won't take you long to get all 168 of them. You'll find them. They'll be in there. And get those truths inside of you. And so when a Mr. Devil comes up and he growls at you. Yeah, I'm talking about demons, not Satan himself. When he growls at you, and says, you're worthless, you're no good, you're defeated, God couldn't use you, don't you remember when you said this wrong, and don't you remember when you made that? And he'll remind you of that. Know this, that if it's under the blood, Jesus don't remind you of what's under the blood. But Satan will try to. So when he brings that up, if you listen to that, it'll make you feel unworthy. But that's where knowing who you are in Christ comes in. No, no, no. You see, Mr. Devil, that's not, that's not true. That's not true. I reject that. The Word of God says, I have been justified. I have been sanctified. I even have been glorified positionally. Hallelujah. Nope, nope, nope. I'm righteous in the sight of God and nothing you can do about it. Here, i got to close after this one more story. When we were back in the old sanctuary, this must have been 25 years ago or thereabouts. It's a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, I'm not sure which. And uh, we were having a time of prayer after the teaching part. And a lady that I did not know and had never seen before, she started prophesying. And she started pronouncing judgment on the church and cursing us as a supposed prophetic word from God. And I recognized that for what it was, and I told her to sit down and be quiet. She did. 
I went ahead and dismissed the service. My office was then just a couple of doors on the left, which is now the, the, the um, conference room on the, that level. So I went back to my office, take my microphone off, lay my Bible down and all that. She followed me in there. And boy, did she get a, let me have it. And she said, this is going to happen. The judgment of God's going to fall on this church. God's going to kick his candlestick away from New Life Church so that it's not a church anymore. And, and I tell you, and she went on. I said, no, 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 no. Shut up. No, no, I don't accept that. That's wrong. Get out of here. And she started running for the door. And she was looking back and still trying to prophesy to me. I said, we reject all of that. Get out of here. Don't ever come back in this place again. Are you going to know what judgment is if you do? <laughs> I haven't seen or heard from her. <laughs> I don't think I ever will. My point is this. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know what the Bible says about you. Because you're going to run upon some of those. Say, oh, I'm afraid to. It's all right. Chill out. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And if you know you've got to deal with something, just have somebody there to help you. But did the Bible say something in the book of Ecclesiastes? Two are better than one. And a three-fold cord cannot be easily broken. So if you're going to do a serious deliverance, have somebody with you. Because if it lasts very long, you'll get tired. And when you get tired and kind of sit back to rest a moment, the other person can step in and carry it on. All right, here's what we want to do. We have a microphone here. Let me make sure it's on. It is. And we're going to have a few minutes of taking questions, all right? But don't, if you've got a question, come up here to the mic because it's being audio recorded and video recorded. So to be able to get a good recording, we need for you to speak into the mic. Otherwise, the people watching and hearing it won't be able to know what you said. All right? So anything that related to what we talked about tonight? Anybody got a question or comment to make? Come to that mic. I won't guarantee you I know the answer, but I'll give it a try. Anybody? Okay? Keith? Um, you said that we have authority over any spirit that we can cast them out. Mm -hmm. But I know that there have been a few times where um, it actually felt like I've been instructed not to do that. Uh -huh. or, and I'm not really sure why. Okay, that's a good point. Glad you mentioned that. That will come up later, but let me give you the short answer right now. I agree with that 100%. All right? There are times when God, you may recognize there's a demon there, but God may tell you, don't, don't do that right now. I've had several people come to me over the years and I always question them. Have you ever been through deliverance before? There's a reason for that question. And if uh, they have, but they haven't kept it, or it was under a set of totally different circumstances, then according to what Jesus said in the Gospels, sometimes when you cast a spirit out, and you get the house clean, and if you don't fill up that clean house with good stuff, guess what they do? They come back with seven cousins worse than them, and the end of that person is worse than it was to begin with. 
So I talk with them to try to determine are they at a place where they can keep it once we cast them out. Now you can't always know 100%, but you can pretty get, get a pretty good guess, as it were, based on what they tell you. So I've had some that I've said, okay, here, before we do deliverance with you, here's what I want you to do. Now I've already checked them out to see if they're born again, and if they're not born again, that's the first thing we're going to do. Because if they're not born again, they don't have any authority to keep them out. Right? So if they're not born again, then I'm not going to cast them out knowing that they're not born again or not even interested in becoming born again. Because they'll just be worse. And uh, so there's, that's something that you need to pick up on. But to answer that question, yes, there may be a time that you say, okay, now is not the proper time. You're not ready for this. You're not ready for it. Because you're not at a place where you can keep it. Now, dovetailing on that, let's say that you have a child and it looks like they need some deliverance. And I've seen this all the way down to about five years old. And you think, okay, parents have authority over their children. Do you understand that? Everybody agree with that? You have authority over your children. When they're in your household, they're under your authority. So I've learned by experience. When I'm presented with a child, a little child, all the way up to a big child, if he's still living in his parents' home, I want to talk to the parents before I do any deliverance on him. Because I want their agreement, number one. Number two, I want their cooperation. I want their agreement. I want their cooperation. Because it may be that they're going to need some help staying free. And I want them to be willing to do what they can do to help that child stay free. Because I don't want to have to do this again when that child is in worse state than before. See, So, yes, there are times when you won't do it. Now, third part of that answer. I've been in services before where demons suddenly started manifesting while I'm preaching. I remember the first time that happened to me, I was in Mexico. Outside of Saltillo, up in a mountain area. And I'm preaching away. I'm just about to end up my teaching. And suddenly a woman fell out of, and they didn't have chairs like this. They had concrete blocks set up with boards across them that they were sitting on. The lady fell out. She was near the end of a row. And like here was a small little two-foot owl. She fell out. She started crawling towards me, slithering like a snake and hissing. Well, that'll get your attention. But I've already cast out enough devils. I know that I know what to do. And uh, so in that situation, you got to deal with them where they are when they're coming at you. You can't say, well, you call back next Tuesday at 6 o'clock and we'll deal with you. No, no, there ain't no making no appointments then. You got to deal with that thing right there. So that was the end of our service that night, was getting that lady delivered. So you may come on occasions like that. Now, as it turns out, she was a witch. So that wasn't an easy one. But it was, it was accomplished. She was a witch. She got born again and set free. We got her delivered, but we would not let her leave until she got born again. 
And we prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill her as well. Because that's the only way she's going to stay free of that is under supernatural power of God. And uh, so you'll encounter situations like that, perhaps. So you, you need to kind of know how to deal with them. All right, any other question? Anybody else? All right. You said that babies, and we all know that they're totally selfish, and you said a sign of salvation is when they become unselfish. So is unselfishness a sign of salvation? Well, not by itself, uh, but generally speaking, yes, but there are certainly some avenues that would be different than that. For example, you know, since I've been saved, I've been selfish several times. But being selfish several times didn't make me lose my salvation or make me unsaved. It just meant I had some areas in my life I need to work on, right? On the other hand, somebody that is extremely selfish, once they get born again, you'll see some changes in that arena. Maybe they may have a flare-up every once in a while of selfishness, but generally speaking, they'll be a whole lot less selfish than they were before. There will be indications that their nature has changed. But uh, a lot of times you can see that in children, and you can see it in adults too. I've seen individuals get born again, small children, older people. Their whole nature, their whole personality seemed to change. I, I knew this one guy. Again, he was a coal miner. Rough, ornery, mean, took drugs, drank alcohol, all sorts of stuff. That guy got born again. His pastime used to be, he got his paycheck on Friday evening. He and his buddies from Ohio County would get in one of them's pickup truck, drive to Louisville to Churchill Downs, and bet on the horses, and then what money they had left, they'd go to a bar and spend the rest of it before they drove home that night. And that therefore the family had no money to live on. And uh, when he got born again, you know what he did? He quit doing that. He quit drinking. He quit taking drugs. He quit gambling at the horse track. He quit going to bars. And within like two or three weeks, he had money to pay for his house rent, had money to pay for food for his family, buy clothes for the kids in school, and his wife was overjoyed. She said, I don't know what God did to him, but God keep on doing it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, we've seen that happen over and over again. Do you have a question? Yeah. You had mentioned about the prophetess that come in and would um, obviously not prophesy the correct thing. Um, do you think do you think that they were possessed and didn't know it? Or would they purposely do that? I don't see why they would stay in the church to bring a church down. Maybe they are. Can it? Can the enemy possess you without your knowledge, even though you follow Christ? Okay, that's a good, that's good question. Last one first. There are different levels of demonization, which we're going to come to in the book, in this class. So I won't go into all of it tonight. The term used in the Bible, I think it's New King James as well as 
the original King James as well as the, maybe the NIV and some of the others that use the term demon-possessed. I don't use that term by and large. I call it demonized, which simply means to be under the influence of a demon, regardless if it's a little bit or if it's a whole lot. They're both demonized, just amount is the only difference. All right. So some people can be demonized and not know it. The answer is yes, they can be. If it's over something small. If it's just a little opening, as it were. All right? Then other people are demonized. I mean, they know it, and everybody else around them knows it. It's so manifested, okay? So yes, they can be and not know it. That particular lady, I, as it, now I have the benefit, benefit of looking back, knowing what I know since that event happened, to know that there were things happening in her life at the time that was causing her to have a really hard issue to deal with at home. And as a result of that, she was opening up to a bad attitude which led to a demon spirit to use her at times, in her case. Now, I didn't know that that night when she was doing that, but we, through talking to her later, found this out. So, when I teach on prophecy, I always tell people this. Don't prophesy with a bad attitude. Because you're going to get your words mixed up with God's word. And you're going to miss it. She was dealing with some bad situation at home with her family. And I think that night when she came to that prayer meeting, she had just had a blow up at home. So that it was real easy for her to get in the wrong flow of things. And she did that. If God gives you a gift, it can be used properly or it can be used improperly. All right? The gifts and callings of God are without repentance, Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says. So in other words, if God gives it, it's there. But you can use it properly or improperly. That's why I said don't prophesy with a bad attitude. Something else I've learned about that over the years is this too. If I know something about you, I refuse to use what I know by our relationship in a prophetic word. Because that didn't come supernaturally. That came by what you told me, somebody else told me, or I saw. Let's say, Joe, I'm going to use Joe here for an example. He's a great guy. But if I knew something about Joe and suddenly at church I feel like, well, I'm going to prophesy to Joe. I'm never going to use that piece of information I already know. I'm not going to do it. Nope, I refuse to use it. Because that way, I'm not opening myself up to use something that I know, mix it up with something that God reveals, and call that a word from God. And I know that happens lots of times. But we need integrity, folks. We need integrity. So, in this case... That's what that lady had done. She had, had dealt with these things that she was dealing with her, with her family, came to this Bible study and prayer meeting with a bad attitude, and the gift was wanting to manifest. And so when she started, she just let it go. It happened to be with her husband. And guess who these three people were that she prophesied to? They were men. You get that? 
It could be just as easily the other way. I'm not picking on women. It could be the other way just as easily. So don't prophesy with a bad attitude. Have a good attitude or don't prophesy. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> All right, one more question, and then we'll have to close up shop for tonight, I think. One more. Anybody else? Okay, yeah, you can come on over so we can record it. Uh, in this course, are we going to cover things that can open the door in our lives and how to make sure that we've got everything cleaned up and ready to roll so that we're in a position of power and instead of weakness? Yes, we are. We are going to cover that. And uh, for those of you that have a book, if you turn to page 44 in your book when you get home tonight, I'll tell you there's five things that we're going to cover when we get there about how to do exactly what he just said. And uh, we're going to deal with those things, how to make sure that you have got all the doors closed in your life. No, here's another thing that I do. It's not perfect, it's just what I've learned to do. If I have what I know to be a deliverance session coming up, what I do before going to it is this. I spend some time praying. I spend some time declaring who I am in Christ, a bunch of scriptures. And I tell the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, if there's anything in me that's allowing an open door anywhere in my life, show it to me now and I'll repent of it on the spot. I plead the blood of Jesus over me, body, mind, and spirit, my helper, and the person I'm going to deal with. So that when I go in there, I'm going in there not just as Carol Parrish. Listen to me carefully. I'm going in there as a child of God. A son of God. I am representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So there should not be any open doors anywhere. And I've seen some tremendous things happen.